0: Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve, called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all that, here's our phrase. We live, we love, and we serve. Amen. Our battle cry for 2021, not our purpose statement or our theme. Our battle cry for 2021 is, I am resilient. We learned that about ourselves from 2020. And we know that what plagued us in 2020 is still plaguing us even now. But it's good to be reminded as you enter this new year that you are resilient, that we are resilient together. And in the month of January thus far, we have had a series based on resilience. The first Sunday of the year, the sermon was resilient in the face of self-confrontation. What happens when you are placed into a situation where you have to be honest with yourself, to yourself, about yourself. And then there was resilient in the face of absurdity. There's so much absurdity that abounds in this world, things that defy our intellectual capacity at times to even understand. But even in the face of the absurd, we push on, we move forward, we remain resilient. And then on the third Sunday, we talked about resilient in the face of materialism. Tragically, in this cultural moment, materialism is a dangerous and destructive driving force when we seek to make our worth and our value tantamount to perishable items, the things. And then on last Sunday, we talked about resilience in the face of life. There's so many of us who get so bombarded by the mysteries of life, the contradictions of life, the inconsistencies of life, that sometimes we try to create these neat systems to make life more manageable. We say things like, if you're good, you'll be blessed, and if you're bad, you'll be cursed. But what happens when life comes at you in such a way that it doesn't fit your neatly constructed, manageable package of how life ought to be? We learned and talked last week that we have to be resilient in the face of life. Today, I want to just talk. And I want to talk about this theme in our last Sunday of the Resilient series. Resilient in the face of opposition. Resilient in the face of opposition. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you today and we honor you, O God, for how even right now, O God, you are reminding us that in us is that same power you use to give us life. Thank you, God, for pushing us at times into our power. Thank you, God, for nudging us every now and again so that we do not fall into the trap of believing into the narrative about our weakness. God, thank you for every now and again reminding us that we belong to you, that we have been fearfully and wonderfully made in your likeness, in your nature. God, we belong to you. And for that, we say thank you. Now, oh God, Let your power be unleashed through your revelation. Let, oh God, the words that you declare on today. Sustain and keep. Cover and provide. Love and heal. God, do what you need to do in order to get the glory out of this moment. God, we thank you. Oh, God, we thank you. God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you. God, if we had 10000 tongues, it wouldn't be enough to declare our gratitude. Thank you. Thank you, God. It is in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen, beloved. I want to speak just for a little while from this thought, resilient in the face of opposition. Resilient in the face of opposition. Several years ago, we had a spiritual retreat. We used to often go on retreats before the pandemic hit, but this particular year, we went to a place called Edie Farm. It was along the Delaware River, and there by the river, we would have and had our spiritual retreat. It was some mornings I would get up early before the day started, before breakfast was served. And I would go to the main house and they had a large wraparound porch. And I would find on those mornings that I wasn't the only one who was getting up early. There were others. And on the porch, they had several rocking chairs. It was almost a competition to get to a rocking chair before someone else could get to it. And so I remember on this one particular morning, I got there early enough to get a chair right by the main door. And I sat there to gather myself and prepare myself for the sessions that I would lead during the spiritual retreat. What better place to gather yourself than near the banks of the river? And there, as I stood on this particular morning, many things captivated and caught my eyes. I notice how along the banks of the river, and I've shared this story before, but I notice how along the banks of the river that all the trees, as bare as they were in that particular season, were all in their barrenness, still leaning towards the river. Even though they gave the appearance that there was no lushness about them, no fruitfulness about the trees, they were still leaning towards towards life. Even as I watched those trees that beautiful and somewhat brisk morning, I wondered and I wish, what would it be like if we all could just lean towards life? So often we find ourselves leaning in directions that do not build us up, but actually tear us down. We find ourselves leaning in the direction of spaces that are not healing but damaging. What if if our decisions that we made were based on entering spaces that we felt safe enough to lean into? and Lean into those spaces believing that life would be enhanced and not diminished. As I sat there on the porch looking and observing the trees leaning towards life. I got up and I made my way down towards the banks of the river. There was a path carved out in the dirt and the closer you got to the river, you really understood how even at the bank of the river that the saturation was intense. It made sense that there would be trees along the bank because the bank was saturated with life. Water. I stood there and I just observed the flow of water. Watching the water flow one way was almost hypnotizing, almost put me in a trance. And as I was sitting there in this trance-like state, my mind went back to times as a little boy. I would go to a park and near this particular park in my town where I grew up, there was a river flowing in the park. And I would do what most children do. We would pick up rocks and, you know, we would throw the rocks to see how far we could skip the rocks. We would throw the rocks along the river and just skip. And we would count how many times that the rock would skip across the river. And whoever could make the rock skip the most would win the little game we developed. I thought about how many times there were others who were like me on that particular morning by the bank of the Delaware River who had probably tried to skip some rocks. And so in that moment of flashing back to my youthfulness, I picked up a handful of rocks mixed with a little bit of dirt. And I started skipping the rocks across the water. I then thought about how as a child, we would often not just skip the rocks. We would pick up chunks of wood and throw it. We had no sense in that day. We would pick up even items that were along the banks of the river and just throw it and see who could throw it the furthest. And it's amazing the kind of games you create to have fun in your adolescent mind when you have limited resources. And my mind traveled back to those days. We would throw objects into the water to see who could throw it the furthest, skip rocks along the water to see who could skip the most. And there on that day, before that session, as I was skipping rocks and having memories of my childhood, something dawned on me. I'm sure there were many objects in that river. Just like I'm sure there were many objects in the Delaware River. Many rocks were probably in the bottom of that river. Many other objects were in the bottom of the river. But there's something I realized that no matter how many things were thrown in the river, none of those objects could stop the flow. The water kept flowing. No matter what you put in front of it, the water kept flowing. And I remember this story about how this little rivulet of water that was off the banks of this one river, there was a story, and we heard of it, and we know of it, that in that rivulet of water, there were rocks in the rivulet. And no matter how many rocks were in the rivulet, the water never stopped flowing. In fact, in fact, what I realized even in that story is that as the water kept on flowing, one philosopher said that if you put the rocks in the river or in the flow of water, the rocks would never stop the flow for the water would always find a way to get by. And if you kept observing over time that that flowing water would eventually wear the rock down. The river had no agenda. The river had no objective. It just kept flowing. And pretty soon that which stood in the way of the water would get worn down over time because the water kept flowing. I read in one place someone said that 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 time is like a flowing river. You never touch the same water twice. For with every passing flow, you'll never see that flow again. And so you ought to enjoy life. And here's what it is. Flow like the river. What would your life look like if you were fixated on making sure you kept your flow? Just kept on moving. Because no matter what you threw in that river, no matter what you would use to block the flow, it couldn't stop the flow. The water always found a way to keep on flowing. My God, if if we looked at our lives more like that flowing river, we'd realize that, that maybe it's wrong or problematic. Where at least, troubling, to be fixated on the opposition, instead of fixated on your flow, who you are and who God called you to be, and just flow with life. There's this teaching in Taoism that talks about, it's called Wu Wei, when you learn that the way of life is to flow through life with the least amount of resistance. You just keep on flowing through life that you'll be surprised how many spaces you can enter when you don't think about resistance, how many places you can go when you don't think about opposition. You just continue to flow. I wonder, I wonder if... If Jesus had flowing on his mind. I wonder if when Jesus was honoring the call that God had placed on his life, if he was so convinced by the nature of the call that he didn't allow anything to stop his flow. I learned a long time ago that there will always be opposition. There will always be things, people, situations that are intended to slow you down, to hinder you, but you just keep it moving. What if that became your model through life, that no matter what you face, keep it moving? No matter what came your way, keep it moving. No matter how many people showed up to try to resist or play rocks in your water path, you keep on flowing. Maybe Jesus just knew, maybe the key to honoring God with who you are and the key to living this life is to actually keep it moving, keep it flowing. The gospel is filled with moments where Jesus knew how to keep it moving. In Mark's gospel, actually, in the sixth chapter of Mark, it says that Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And when he got there, the people ridiculed him and chastised him. And it was there that Jesus declared that prophets have no honor in their own hometown. And Jesus did not sit there arguing with people who did not receive him. He didn't sit there debating with people who did not believe in him. He kept it moving. He stayed in the flow. There was another incident in the seventh chapter of Mark where the Pharisees and some scribes came along and they observed him and his disciples and they had issues. They said, why don't you honor the traditions of your elders? And Jesus said, what do you mean? They they said, you and your disciples eat with defiled hands. You, You don't wash your hands before you eat. That's the tradition of the elders. Why don't you honor our traditions, our rituals? And when they asked Jesus why he didn't honor their traditions and rituals, he did not get into a debate about traditions or a, deba- a debate about rituals. He leaned into the prophet Isaiah who said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. He said even right there that you all don't necessarily honor God. In fact, you honor human tradition more than you honor God. And at that moment, Jesus, while he was still moving, he looked at the crowd and said, listen, hear this. What goes in your body doesn't defile you. It's what comes out of your body that defiles you. And then he goes on and you read the translation. He says, what goes in your body that is troubling, problematic, will eventually end up in the sewer anyway. He said, it's not what goes in that's the problem. And it's not what you eat that's the problem. He said it because it is from the heart that evil intentions are birthed. So it's about where your heart is at. When they tried to oppose him for not honoring the traditions, he kept on flowing then in Mark's gospel again, around that eighth chapter, there were some who came to him. Now you have to understand the context. Jesus had given hearing to a deaf man, sight to the blind. He had fed 4,000 on one moment, 5,000 another moment. He had healed continuously. And watch this. Some Pharisees, again, religious leaders, who are never content with what you do, even if what you do is beyond anything they've ever seen, they'll always look for more. Pause. There will always be people, no matter how much good you try to do, will never be content with the good you do. They will always look to see the next thing you try to do because they don't know how to Honor the thing you are doing because they're not understanding the way you flow. They came to him and said, Watch this. After all that Jesus had done, according to Mark's gospel, they said, Give us a sign from heaven. And Jesus said to them, Why do you ask for a sign from heaven? He said, In fact, no sign from heaven will be given to these. Now, let me back up for a second. I didn't intend on talking about this, but I want you to hear the context when what I said. Jesus had given hearing to a deaf man, sight to a blind person. He had fed 4,000 in one scene in Mark and 5,000 in another scene. And in the same gospel, they had brought uh, tons of people, thousands of people uh, to Jesus, and he healed everybody. And even at Peter's uh, uh, house, he healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He had done all these things. Then in that second chapter, you remember, he healed the man who his friends lowered through the roof. He had done all of this. And watch what Jesus says in that eighth chapter, the Pharisees, I will send you no sign from heaven. You will get no sign for heaven. I had to pause for a second. And I thought about this. You mean to tell me that giving sight to the blind, helping the lame walk, feeding the multitude, healing a paralytic man, that's not a sign from heaven? No, it's not a sign from heaven. It's a sign of what is possible in our living lives. But when they came with opposition, what did he do? He kept it moving. He stayed in the flow. In fact, it was then, Luke twenty, that some the Pharisees came to him again, and they asked the question that was on the mind of so many of them. They said. By what authority do you do these things? They were questioning his authority. They were questioning what he was doing in the midst of his work, in the midst of his mission. They asked him, by what authority? And watch what Jesus said. He didn't get into them with a debate about authority. He said, let me ask you a question. When John came baptizing in the Jordan, was it by God or was it by humans? Strength. The Pharisees were in a quandary in that moment because they knew what John had done. In fact, some of them had come to be baptized by John. And when he asked the question, was it of God or was it by human standards? And the Pharisees knew if we say it was of God, the next question would be, why didn't we believe in John if it was from God? And if we say it was of humans with all these people around who knew that God, John was from God, they might stone us to death. And here's what the Pharisees said. We don't know. And Jesus said to them, well, since you don't know, I won't tell you where my authority comes from. He kept it moving. Then in John's gospel, you find this beautiful scene in the seventh chapter of John's gospel when the religious leaders were tired of Jesus. They were weary of Jesus. They had it up to their necks with Jesus. They were tired because he was undermining their power and undermining their authority and really exposing their lack of of conviction to the move of the Spirit of God. And so what did they do? They sent police, temple guards, to arrest Jesus, John, the seventh chapter. And here they were, the guards on assignment to arrest Jesus. But when they got there to arrest Jesus, I know Jesus saw the guards, but he kept on flowing. Scripture says that when he kept on flowing, kept on preaching, kept on teaching, that the guards who were sent to arrest him were mesmerized by his words and so mesmerized that they didn't come back to the religious leaders with Jesus. They came back empty handed and the religious leaders said, where is Jesus? We sent you there to arrest him. And the Jesus who was flowing, the Jesus who kept it moving, these men said, we never heard anybody speak like this. The very next scene. They bring a woman caught in adultery, trying again to stop the flow of Jesus. He said the scriptures say that a woman like this ought to be stoned to death. Jesus, what do you say? They were trying to get him to say something contradictory to the law. Well, here's the thing. When you're in your flow, you don't allow those who oppose you to set the context of your discussions. When you are honoring who you are and moving in the space that you've been called to do, you don't let other people set your parameters. And so they came there looking for an answer about the law and adultery. And what does Jesus do? He starts kneeling down. He starts riding in the sand. Strange behavior. You know what I realize? There's some people who always think you're strange when you don't fall for their, their tricks to get you distracted by what they're doing. He stayed in the flow. He didn't even honor the ask, honor their question or answer the question. He just kneeled down and started writing. There were so many scholars over the years who debated what was he writing. And I and I and I have my own theory on what was he writing. It's my imagination. It's not right. But but I, I somehow think that 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 when they brought this woman who they said was caught in adultery to Jesus, he kneeled down and started writing in the sand. And maybe and maybe he was writing stuff like this, like liar, thief. Hypocrite! And here's what happened when all the people who were standing there, the men who wanted to accuse and storm the woman, saw him identify them in the sand and said they all walked away from the oldest to the youngest. And Jesus got up and said, well, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. He said, good, I am no longer condemn you. Go. And said, no more. He kept it flowing. You see, here's, here's, here's what, 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 uh, what Albert Einstein said. He said, great spirits always experience violent opposition from mediocre minds. Oh, I want you to hear that. Great spirits always encounter violent opposition from mediocre minds, especially when you're convinced by your flow, moving in your flow, keeping it moving in your giftedness, in your power, in your ability. How could you not think you would get opposition? how could you not think that in this life when you're seeking to honor who you are and do what you've been called to do and fulfilling the high calling on your life and some people may be saying well hold on pastor there's a problem here I don't know what my high purpose is I don't know what my calling is yes you did when you woke up this morning you took a deep breath that began your purpose what to live life that has been given to you and when you are seeking to live life devoid of foolishness and distractions and and, and insanity and negativity people will be upset I'm a and how many people are, are thrown off when you enter the room with a smile on your face? They say things like, What's wrong with you? Yeah. What's going on with you? Can you imagine that you enter a room filled with joy, peace, and happiness, and people are confounded? Yeah, that's good. Oh, yes. When you honor who you are, you got to expect opposition. But here you are claiming to be a lover of God and a and a follower of the teachings of the carpenter. And here you see all through the scripture where there were moments in Jesus's life where he kept meeting opposition from mediocre minds. And here you are following those footsteps. And you thought that when you seek to do that, you would get no opposition. What Jesus demonstrates is that you don't let those who oppose set the boundaries for your possibility. Now, let me pause for a second and inject something before you begin to start looking for people who say, oh, yes, they tried to stop my flow and she tried to stop my flow and he tried to stop my flow. She didn't understand me and, and he doesn't really get me and, and they have a problem with me. And before you start doing the easy move, which is to find all the people who stopped you from flowing, yeah. you must first ask yourself, when did I stop my flow? When when was it that I got in my own way? When was it when I found myself being seduced by the expectations of people who were living these mediocre lives and then wanted to reduce me to mediocrity? And I brought into the narratives of mediocrity because they could not stand the enormity of my spirit. When did I? Because there will always be opposition without and within. So before you start pointing fingers and talking about what's stopping you from the outside, maybe you ought to pause and think about what's stopping you from the inside. Those ways you're working against yourself, those ways you have been hindering yourself, the ways you have been opposing yourself. But how do you remain resilient? Because opposition will come. How do you do it? I turn to my friend, the carpenter again, and it's quite simple: There's no three steps to this, no five steps to handling opposition and remaining resilient. Here it is. The Gospels describe this beautiful story when Jesus knew that somehow, in order for this movement to begin, he needed to go see his cousin John. I can't imagine what that journey was like when he left home that day and made his way down to the Jordan. He knew what John was doing, and he knew John was a little strange, but even John's strangeness didn't stop John's flow. But he knew that somehow, in order for him to move forward in the call that God had placed on his life, he needed to go down by the river, the dirty, murky, nasty Jordan. It's amazing how oftentimes new life can come from dirty places. Oftentimes that murkiness, that nastiness of spaces that seem uninhabitable can become the birthplace for a great breakthrough. Jesus made his way down there to see his strange cousin, John, who was just a few months older than him. And when he got down there, he had decided to surrender himself, submit himself to the same baptism. It was as if he knew that this baptism was necessary. I don't know how he knew, but he knew the baptism was somehow necessary. And when he came down to John, he faced opposition from his cousin. He said, no, 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 no. The truth is, it is I, Jesus, who should be baptized by you. Jesus wouldn't even let his cousin stop his flow. He said, no, he said, no, no, you baptize me. And when John baptized his cousin, dipped him down in that dirty, nasty, murky Jordan. He pulled him up. Depending on which gospel you read, the same thing happens from two perspectives. But I like this one. When He pulled Jesus up. Jesus then heard a voice and said it was as if the heavens opened and that dove descended. We somehow often think about that dove symbolizing the spirit, and it may be true, and let just allow me to just add a footnote here. It may be true. It, it, it may be a sign of the spirit descending, but I also like to think of that bird that day descending upon, or the image of a bird descending was similar to something else. Maybe, maybe it was for us, the reader of the narrative, to be drawn back to another time when God was trying to begin something new. We're after the flood and the waters had resided, it was the descending of the bird that was a sign that it was a new day, that God was now about to begin something new. Maybe that day in the Jordan, in the water, amid the mud and the murkiness, maybe God was signaling something new. And when that Spirit like a dove descended, then a voice spoke, this, oh no, 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 because this would have meant it was for everybody else. Here's what it said, you are my son, and whom am I well pleased? It was the voice of God that Jesus heard, waterlogged, but right. And he heard the voice, you are my son. And you don't even need to do anything past this moment. My love covers you. My love keeps you. I am pleased with you. If you never do anything else, you are my son in whom I am well pleased. How can you not flow when you know you have the pleasure of God? Yeah. Maybe that was the secret of how you become resilient in the face of opposition, to be convinced about who you are. Because when you are convinced that you are daughter of God, a son of God, and that God's favor already rests upon you without your performance, maybe in that way you can keep it moving. You can stay in your flow no matter what people say. Can you imagine this? What can anybody ever say against you when you heard God's voice for you? Oh, I hope you can get that today. What can anything work against you when you know God has been for you? One. Maybe the other thing is after he hears God's voice and said he's driven in to the wilderness to be tempted by the adversary. The same adversary who showed up in the garden shows up now in the wilderness with the desire to stop the flow of Jesus. And in every attempt, When the adversary tried to stop, tried to hinder, tried to undermine the mission, Jesus reminded him of who he was. And even when the adversary tried to throw scriptures at him, the the tricks did not work because when the adversary threw scripture, he threw scripture right back. Now, when you have affirmation from God, confirmation from God, and victory over the adversary that caught up the first beings in the garden, who can stop your flow? Who can truly oppose you? Maybe, beloved, that's the secret. Maybe the secret to being resilient in the face of opposition is to not be concerned about the opposition that will come, but be convinced. About who you are. I am the beloved of God. God's Spirit rests on me, and in me, God finds favor. In this life, you will face opposition, especially when you're walking in a path that is forcing everybody to elevate their consciousness, you will face opposition. Especially when you're doing a great work and won't listen to the voices who are trying to get you to come down from that wall. You will face opposition. When you're seeking to live in a space where you are so in tune with the movement of life that it is as if your body can anticipate every move that will be on the way. I remember I'm a sports fan and I remember one night years ago watching Michael Jordan play And they was asking him on this night, and I think it was against the Portland Trailblazers or maybe the Cleveland Cavaliers, but he was, I mean, he was in the zone. Late great Basketball Hall of Famer, Bill Russell said, when they asked him, what is the zone like? He said, he said, it's like. Everything is in slow motion. There is no stress. There is no distraction. You can see everything that's happening, see everything that's moving. Your eyes are fixated, and it is as if you are moving effortlessly through life. That's the flow. Will you move, not concerned about opposition or resistance, because who you are, it synonymous with who God wants you to be. Oh, beloved, I cannot tell you how many times you'll face opposition. But what I will tell you is that how you face it is connected to how much you believe, not just in God, but in yourself. And doesn't it happen just when things seem to be moving, something comes to throw you off track? No, no, no. It can't because you won't let it. Like the river. Let opposition have a hard time finding you twice. Keep it moving. Keep it moving. And let your resilience shine. Let it shine. Because you are resilient. And when Jesus faced all that opposition from the Pharisees and scribes, he had to remember, one, I know who I am. And two, I face tougher than you. I face tougher than you. If you're here right now, if you're alive right now, you must know that whatever you're dealing with right now, you face tougher than this. And if you face tougher than this, don't let the mediocre mind slow you down. Don't let the mediocre spaces hold you back. Don't let opposition hinder your progress. You are resilient. Come on, beloved. Let's talk to God. God, we thank you today and we honor you, oh God, for how you reminded us this morning. that every now and again, we can't be sidetracked by distractions and situations and even people who try to slow down our progress that we ought to just keep it moving. Keep on flowing, convinced and convicted about who we are, undeterred, unhindered. Keep it flowing. God, thank you for reminding us that we are like rivers and to keep flowing. We are like spiritual currents that just keep moving. God, thank you for this gentle reminder today. Thank you, God, for making us this way. Flaws and all, but still flowing. Fragile, but still flowing. Mistakes, but still flowing. Not perfect, but still flowing because we know we belong to you, and we face tougher than this. Thank you, Lord. We honor you, God. We bless your name, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say...